for a few minutes tonight about Ebenezer moments. Some Ebenezer moments. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah, Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Whether you realize it or not, we all have Ebenezer moments in our life. We sing the song probably many times without thinking what it really means. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And uh, it literally means a stone of help, a stone of help. Interestingly, this is not the first time this word appears. Uh, it appears in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, as a, uh, a place name, a location name, uh, but with no reference to what it actually means. This is the first time that the word is used as it is properly known as a stone or a monument of remembrance. Now, we understand, knowing our history of the people of Israel, this is a common practice uh, that uh, going as far back as Jacob, when he was fleeing for his life from Esau, And he had a dream of a a stairway going up to heaven, and he saw angels ascending and descending. And he, he awoke the next morning and said, wow, God was here, and I did not realize it. 
And that stone that he had used for a pillow, he anointed and uh, called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. And ever since that moment throughout the scriptures, we can read about various times when God's people set up monuments to things that had happened that they wanted to remember. This is a time in Israel's history when uh, there is transition taking place. Samuel is the last of the judges. And if you remember anything about the book of Judges, you remember that the end of the book of Judges is, uh, is just a, a terribly graphic uh, time uh, of, of wickedness in the life of the nation of Israel. And it's a time when it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and uh, Samuel is kind of the last of the judges, the ruling judges over Israel. And he is the one you remember that the people came to eventually and said, we want a king so that we can be like the other nations, those that are around us. And so Samuel is tasked with the responsibility of leading the nation of Israel through this time of transition from uh, being a nation that is basically a theocracy and governed by judges uh, to being a nation with a king ruling over them. The beginning of, uh, rather not the very beginning, but uh, the, the first parts of the book of 1 Samuel uh, gives us a picture uh, of the nation of Israel that is not, um, not very pleasant. Uh, things are not good for the nation of Israel. You remember uh, about Eli, the, the priest at the time, and how his sons were, were worthless men, it tells us in uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. And how they would defraud the people and were men of wicked immorality. In chapter 4, you read about a time that Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And, and this was a time when the Israelites understood the Ark of the Covenant to be like their, like their magic talisman, so to speak. And they kind of felt like uh, as long as they had that with them, that they were fine and that 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 was the representation of God's presence apart from what they did, their, their obedience or lack of obedience to God and to God's will. 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and Israel was defeated before the Philistines, and thousands of men were killed, and, and the, the tragic end result of that battle was the capture uh, of the Ark of the Covenant by the Philistines, and then word comes back to, to Eli, and you remember how he falls and lands on his head and breaks his neck, and, and uh, he dies, and all of that takes place. Just a, really a, a terrible, terrible time in the nation of Israel, and the Israelites are, are terribly disturbed and troubled because of the Ark of the Covenant being captured by the Philistines, by their enemies. And so it is, it's interesting to me that this Ebenezer moment, this time when a monument is, is raised to commemorate God's help, begins 
with a time of such turmoil in the history of the nation of Israel. But what's interesting about this is that when we look back a little bit further, we see that God really is already at work in the life of His people. And that's encouraging for us tonight, isn't it? To know that in spite of what's going on in our lives, that God is working in our lives. And perhaps even long before our current circumstances that we are living in right now, God had to have been at work to put details of life in place so that things and circumstances would come together in the right way for us in the moment that we're living in now. Let me try to show you or talk to you a little bit about what I mean. Um, we go back to the very beginning of 1 Samuel, and we read about the birth of Samuel himself. <clears throat> you remember how uh, Samuel's mother, uh, Hannah, was barren and had no children, and she was terribly distressed about this, and and she was the favorite wife of her husband, and her husband did not understand. You, you, probably none of us here, even you ladies, you, you might come closer to understanding than, than we men would. But in their culture, and their time in society, a woman's value to society was tied directly to her uh, ability to bear children. And not being able to have children, she was not uh, the kind of wife that she hoped she could be to her husband. Her husband said to her, why, why, do you ups why are you upset? Why do you weep? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? She, she was his favorite. But she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She sought the Lord for a son. She prayed in the, the temple, and you remember how Eli saw her and took her to be drunken and and uh, said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, no, I'm, I'm deeply troubled in my spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. You know how that story goes, that God, as she prays, God uses Eli to, to promise her the answer to her prayer. And uh, sometime later, she conceives and bears a son and calls his name Samuel. God's, God's already at work. God's already bringing the pieces together. Think of the call of Samuel that we read about in chapter 3. It's a familiar story to us because as we think of God speaking uh, in, in our hearts. And in fact, I remember um, let me pause just for one moment. Maybe a good time for me to take a drink. That was a good pause because it helped me remember what I was trying to remember. You remember, uh, do you remember Agermeyer's uh, children's Bible story book? It's got a, got a blue cover on it. 
Yeah. I, I, I remember, I don't know, my grandmother had one, and I don't know if we ever had one in our house, but, but that was one of the stories that I remember reading from Agermeyer's children's Bible storybook, and opening up those pages and looking at the picture and thinking about Samuel as a young boy in the temple and laying in his bed on his, probably on his pallet on the floor at night and hearing his voice, uh, uh, his name called to him, Samuel, Samuel, and he runs and goes to Eli the high priest. And this is interesting. How, <clears throat> how unfamiliar would a person have to be with the voice of God it, it took even Eli, the priest, and uh, what was it, two, three times before he something clicked into place and he realized, oh, God must be speaking to Samuel. There was a very, it seemed to be a very uh, little uh, familiarity with this idea that God is a speaking God. Samuel runs to Eli, here I am, for you called for me. No, I didn't call. Go back to bed. And this has happened. So, and then finally, Eli realizes what's going on and says, next time this happens, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. In verse 10 of chapter 3, that's exactly what happened. And, and then the Lord spoke to Samuel, and that began this relationship between God and Samuel, of God being a speaking God and ministering to Samuel and then also ministering through Samuel to the nation of Israel. <clears throat> even even the story of the Philistines capturing the Ark of the Covenant, what a, what a tragic time in the life of, of uh, the nation of Israel, but yet... Uh, as you as you read the story uh, of how everything worked out, it didn't turn out so good for the Philistines, did it? Uh, you remember how they took the ark and put it in uh, the, uh, the 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 temple of Dagon, their Philistine god, and and uh, the uh, idol of Dagon get, kept falling over and and having pieces broken off. Um, didn't, didn't turn out too good for them. It just indicates to me that in spite of all of our issues and what we do, that there is a God in heaven who is at work all along the way to accomplish His plan and purpose. And God's will will be accomplished with or without you and me. Reminds me, I, I was, I had never heard it before, but I came across a recording of A.W. Tozer uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was preaching about the sovereignty of God, and he used a, an illustration of being on a ship from, say, from the States going over to Britain, and he said that as you're on that ship, the passengers on that ship have a degree of freedom to do whatever they want within the boundaries of that ship. But there are some things that they cannot change. They cannot change where that ship departs from and where it's going to land. That is decreed. It is set in stone. And friends, you and I, as we 
live our lives, as we go throughout this world, our, our beginning point is we don't have anything to do with that. And where this old ship is going to end up, it's going to end up exactly where God wants it to, with or without you and me. Well, God is already working. And then in chapter 7, we come to this place where uh, Samuel begins to speak to the Israelites. And he says to them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord. That phrase, direct your heart, jumped out at me. And I thought about the various directions of the human heart. Um, One of the things the Bible tells us about our hearts is that they are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. In other words, we cannot trust our hearts without uh, first placing them in God's hand. Our heart can take us all kinds of directions if we, if we will follow our heart without uh, letting God control our lives. But here Samuel says, direct your heart to the Lord. First of all, direct your heart away from the idols that you have served, away from the idols. Um, I'm sure there's no one here, and I know I'm speaking to the choir Uh, No one with any idols uh, that you bow down to or burn incense to. Um, Probably not any of you with a rival to God's proper place in your heart. But this is what the Israelites needed at this moment. He said, direct your heart, direct your heart away from the idols and to the Lord alone. To the Lord alone. I told you this morning that I I spent some time, uh, some additional time in prayer last night uh, uh, before bed as I was getting ready for bed and uh, was reading uh, in a book along with that and God helped me in a special way to remind me uh, of what ought to be my number one priority and God's number one priority for me. And it came through the verse of Scripture that uh, speaks in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, about Jesus calling uh, the twelve disciples. And it says simply that He called them to be with Him. He called them to be with Him. And... God spoke to me to, to remind me that my number one priority is, is not uh, the, necessarily the work of the church or, or even the work of ministry, as important as those things are, but the very first thing in my life is to spend time in the presence of Jesus. And without that, nothing else uh, that I or you can do will have an impact or make a difference. So we direct our hearts away from idols and not just away from idols, but I would say even away from what is lesser and to the Lord alone. 
direct our hearts away from the crisis. This is where this is going as uh, the Israelites uh, are following Samuel's instructions and they are seeking God, uh, they're praying, uh, they are entering into a time of worship, and they are entering into a time of confession. Verse 6, it says, They gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They fasted on that day, and they repented, they confessed, they said, We have sinned against the Lord. And it says in verse 7, When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they came up against the Israelites. Now, this is just like what the devil will often do in our lives, isn't it? When we start making strides in God's direction, we get our enemy stirred up. And our enemy will begin to come against us. And I am convinced that very often we do not end up where God wants us to be. We don't end up gaining the ground that God would like us to gain because as soon as we start striving in His direction, our enemy comes against us and will discourage and distract our attention and we will focus on the, the troubles and the problems and then the progress that we had been making ends up being lost. Well, the Israelites here did the right thing. Verse 8, the people of Israel said, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel made a burnt offering. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack. And it says the Lord thundered with a mighty sound. God had not fought. You remember the last battle? The last battle was the one where the ark of the covenant had gotten stolen away from the Israelites by the Philistines. The, the Israelites had thought as long as they had the Ark of the Covenant with them that, that God was going to be there and fight their battles for them. But it was not until their hearts were changed, they had directed their hearts away from their idols and to God alone, that God began to fight for them. And it's here in this place of first crisis that became a place of victory, that Samuel takes this stone and sets it up between Mizpah and Shin and calls its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Friends, I am grateful for the Ebenezer moments in my life. I look back at times that I didn't know God was working and God was weaving the threads together to make something beautiful, to bring together the pieces of His will. But now looking back, I can see, oh, God was in that. He knew what was going on all the time. When I see His hand at work in my heart and in my life, I see His faithfulness to be a, a God of grace and mercy and long-suffering and teaching me how to, to direct my heart. I believe it was Judith this morning that was talking a little bit about that in her testimony, that we learn through life how to direct our hearts and to keep it focused in God's direction. And as we continue to live, we look back on those moments, those monuments of God's mercy 
and God's grace. They may remind us of difficulty, but in the midst of difficulty, we see also victory. And we can say, thank God for the times that he has helped. Amen. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. Let's stand together.